0: You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at South Christ Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen, y'all go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, if you have your Bible, we're gonna be in the book of Psalms this morning in our the book series. We're gonna be in chapter 51. So if you go ahead and turn to Psalm 51, be awesome. And I appreciate Tony, uh, bringing the, the fire last Sunday. I got to, to watch online. We had been in Florida and um, visiting family, and man, he did a great job with the book of Job, and I appreciate him doing that. And today we're, again, continuing on. We're gonna be in the book of Psalms this morning, Psalm 51. I, I Sometimes when I've, in different messages or in different settings, I've asked a question. Um, I'm not gonna do it this morning, but I've asked the group, whether it be uh, young adults or college students or whoever, um, and asked, hey, what are, ask them to share, what are some things that you're proud of that you would say, man, these are some things that God has done in my life where he's been faithful, and these are some things that i have accomplished because of God's goodness, and I'm, I'm grateful and I'm proud of those. Not like in a prideful, arrogant way, but just that I'm proud of, and I've asked people to share those, and it's always fun uh, when I do that to see people talk about it, like, man, this was cool, and they're kinda, you, there's a lot of chatter, and I'll give them a minute or two to discuss that, and then I'll say, okay, now, you know, the reality is we have things we're proud of, but we also have things that we're deeply ashamed of, that, that we're embarrassed of. And now I want you to go ahead and talk about those. And it's always funny when I do that to see people, they look at me like, dude, you, what the heck is going on, right? And the people that know me really well, they normally know like, Brandon's just messing with us. But people that don't know me as well, they get scared that I'm really fixing to have them like air all their dirty laundry to the people sitting around them. Well, again, the good news is you don't have to do that this morning. But it's funny when I when I do that, people's responses—they uh, immediately are in shock. And then when I say, "Why don't you want to share those things?" That's kind of an odd. Ob- there's a. It's an obvious answer to that question, right? When I say, "Why don't you want to air your dirty laundry?" People are like, "Well, because I'm embarrassed, bro, right? Or I'm ashamed. Like only me and God know that. Why would I want to share this with the people around me? you y'all, y'all relate to that? There's that sense of. I'm embarrassed and ashamed and only I know about it for a reason. (laughs) And so they're they're reluctant to share it. The reality is all of us have things like that in our life, things that we're ashamed of, things that we're embarrassed of, things that if other people knew, we would have to cry ourselves to sleep or we would have to like not show our face for two weeks because we'd be so ashamed. We have those things. And, and the reality is, it's not just related to other people. We have those things that distance us in our relationship with God, or at least they, they make us perceive and feel as though we have distance between us and God because we just feel dirty. You know what I'm talking about? When you sin, you just feel gross, right? I remember one time, I, I would describe it this way. One time uh, I was back home. I was, Lauren and I were married. This wasn't that long ago. And my dad, I can't remember where, where we found it in the garage, but we found this pair of old handcuffs and as a joke, we put, he put them on me. And then, not a joke, he could not find the key. And uh, I was not happy, right? Uh, I remember like just that feeling of despair, like, Dad, you have to get these off. Like, what are you doing, Dad? Not funny, right? And kind of like the anger and the intensity escalating very quickly. Um, by the way, is it kind of warm in here? Yeah, I'm gonna, uh, David, you got me. Thanks, bro. I was looking for Jack. That'd be awesome. Sorry, I thought... Maybe I'm just excited, but I'm starting to sweat up here. So anyways, I saw you all kind of fanning yourselves. I hope you're enjoying yourself by the fire at the house, okay? um, Or where's it going with that? Oh yeah, Uh, but that's how sin feels. Like, Lord, can you just get it off? Like, Get it away from me. And the reality is, from the garden, from Genesis chapter three, humans have struggled with this. Think about the guilt and the shame that Adam and Eve must have felt in the garden. So they had perfect communion with God, perfect relationship with God. Then Genesis three, they sinned, they fell, they broke that. What did they do? They weren't just like, hey God, how you doing? What were they doing when God was walking in the cool of the day in the garden? Where were they? It got a little louder, sorry. They were hiding, yeah, they they were hiding, covering themselves with leaves because they were ashamed, right? They felt... Despicable. We can't let God see us. Who can relate to that? Not that you like go get leaves. Don't? That's weird. But, like, but that you feel like, God, God you, I can't let you see me right now. The hymn, old hymn has it right that we sing sometimes in here. Our hearts are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. Think about the New Testament. Think about Peter Jesus, I will never deny you. You know what? I will even die for you. And just like moments later, Jesus is arrested, fixing to be crucified. And what did Jesus do? Sorry, what did Peter do? He denied him. How many times? Three times. And the last time he's like cussing, like cussing to get them away from him. And it says he went and wept. have you ever felt that? Like you sin and you, you don't have to be told you did wrong. You just, you feel like a failure. Feel like you're in defeat. Think about the, the Old Testament, the guy that wrote Psalm 51, David. Man, after God's own heart, he's leading the nation. He's doing a great job. And then kind of on a whim, he has lust, commits adultery, and then kills Bathsheba's husband. And honestly, if you look at the record, he, he, his dynasty, his rule, his leadership was never the same. It never, it didn't quite ever really recover. Man, what do you do in that moment? How, how do you restore that relationship with God? Not because like you're not a Christian anymore, but how do you, how do you have that intimacy with God again where you don't feel this like distant grossness and like, oh, I can't come in his presence. I think a lot of us know if you've been in church, you've heard the gospel, one word, repentance, right? That you you come to God in repentance. But I think the problem is, actually, I I preached this sermon probably six, seven years ago, and I did it a different way. And I was preparing for it for something recent. Sorry, you three college students have heard this recently. My apologies. Um, Maybe five college students. Um, But when I was preparing to talk to the college students a few months ago, I realized, man, our our world today, we know about repentance, but we don't really know how to repent. So so what happens is people either, they just say, God, I'm sorry, and they go back to doing the same thing. And listen, if you ask God, God, please forgive me, but you go back to doing the same thing, did you really actually repent? I don't think so. If you, if you, oh God, I'm sorry, but then you still feel this guilt and shame. That's not, that's not what Christ intended for you as a believer to like repent, but still live under this cloud of guilt and shame. So what I love about Psalm 51 is it's kind of a recipe for repentance of like, what does repentance actually look like? We talk about it. We say, you just need to repent, man. But, but what does it actually look like? And I use the word recipe intentionally because don't turn, there's five things we're gonna see from this text, but don't turn this into this to-do list. It's perfect, to do it just right because then that's just more like legalistic, burdensome religion. See it as, as a recipe in that these are some key ingredients for healthy repentance. So like the best cooks, we got any people that like to cook in here? Um, Be proud, don't be ashamed. Uh, The best cooks, there's a little bit of freestyle in there, right? Like, so it's like you're not, like to me, if when you measure the salt, if you like have to perfectly level it off, you're not having fun, right? You gotta have a little fun. There's a little, my friend Richard likes to season like this, right? Like, um, have some fun with it. I think with this, with these ingredients, think of it as that. This is a gift to us for what repentance looks like. This is not another checklist, this is a gift. Repentance leads to restoration, intimacy with God. So what does repentance look like? Five things, I'm gonna, we're gonna kind of pick them apart going through little by little. So uh, read verses one through two with me and then we'll see the first one. Psalm 51, verse one. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. So here's the first thing we're gonna see. It'll be on the screen for you. Repentance begins with knowing that forgiveness flows from God's love, not your effort. Repentance begins with knowing that forgiveness flows from God's love, not your effort. So he says, have mercy on me, O God. So mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. So David, this, he wrote this after he had committed a sin with Bathsheba, and so he realizes he deserves brokenness. He deserves death, hell, and damnation. But God, would you be merciful and not give me what I deserve? And listen to what he says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. And then there's that word again, according, again. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly, cleanse me from my sin. So he's calling on God, begging God to cleanse him according to what? What does the text say? You can talk to me. According to what? I just pointed it out. His steadfast love and his what? His abundant mercy. So get this. This is where the point comes from. God's forgiveness is rooted in the fact that he's a God of steadfast love. That word, as Kess said, covenant love. He's made, a, if you're in a relationship with God through Christ, you're in a covenant with him. And in that covenant, he always keeps his promises. Actually, as a fact, God always keeps his promises. So there's forgiveness, there is mercy because he's a faithful, covenant, promise-keeping God and he delights in forgiveness. It's according to his steadfast love, according to his abundant mercy. So here's the deal. God forgives you, not based on how good you've been or like, oh, I'm just really repenting. I'm gonna repent really, really hard today. No, he forgives you. There's mercy and there's grace because according to his steadfast love. Is that good news? Absolutely. God delights in forgiveness. He delights in cleansing you of your sin. Actually, you know what? He's incredibly fanatically passionate about it. Why do you say that? He was willing to die on the cross for your sin. That's how serious, how passionate Jesus is about forgiveness. Amen? Amen. He's serious about forgiveness. Like, put your your money where your mouth is. Like, prove it to me. He died for you to show you, I want to forgive you. I want there to be cleansing so we can have this intimate relationship. He went to the cross for you. That's good news. Repentance begins with knowing that forgiveness flows from God's love, not your effort. A question, not a rhetorical question. Why why is that so important? Or maybe a different way to to ask it how does that change things in repentance? Knowing that forgiveness flows from God's love, not because you try real hard. How does that change things when you go to God in repentance and ask for forgiveness? How should that change your approach? We got all day, I'm kidding. (laughs) If you're if you're saying if you're talking to the TV, I'm sorry, I can't hear you if you're on the internet, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can text the people in the room. They help them out. Just kidding. I guess I'll just tell you. <laughs> it gives you confidence. Right? If forgiveness is based on how good I am, I'm in trouble. Anybody else with me? Actually, I, 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 I know you're with me because our hearts are, Scripture says, wickedly and dis, wicked and deceitful. We can't understand them, so you're actually more evil than you even think. Good, uh, yeah. Trying to give you an encouraging word this morning. So. <laughs> if it was based on that, I'm in trouble. If it was based on how, how good I am at repenting, I'm also in trouble. But because it's based on God's love, When I go to him, I can go with confidence. So so it's not this like, oh man, I'm gonna come to God and maybe he'll forgive me. Maybe maybe he'll be in a good mood. I don't know. Does God like snow? I don't know. (laughs) No, I can go to God in confidence because he is a covenant promise keeping God and he forgives, he gives mercy. Verse one says, according to his steadfast love. That is good news. All right, that's the first ingredient of repentance. Let's keep reading. Verse three. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom and the secret place. Man, so good. Here's the second truth we see from the text. Second ingredient. Repentance requires you to acknowledge how sinful you are from the inside out. I'll say it again. Repentance requires you to acknowledge how sinful you are from the inside out. So I Man, I can totally resonate with verse three. I know you can too. He says, my trans- I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. It's like he's saying, God, it's like my sin, it's like it's staring me in the face like I'm looking in the mirror. Like everywhere I go, everything I do, I'm reminded of my sin and how I've rebelled against you and how I disobeyed you. Hey, verse four, God is against you. You only have I sinned. Listen, he's not denying the consequences that sin has on humans, but he's saying, Ultimately, at its root, sin is rebellion. It's evil. It's um, wrongdoing against who? Against God. So, when I choose to sin, it, it hurts the people around me. Have no doubt about that, church family. It will wreck shop in the people you love. But sin is primarily, at its root, sin against God. And so, David's saying, God, I. He's being honest. He's saying, I've, I've sinned against you. I've done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So he's saying, God, you're totally just. You're totally right to call me a sinner because I am a sinner. And I love this verse five. It's not just what I do, it's who I am. He says, verse five, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So there's some debate on like, is he talking about, uh, did, was David conceived out of wedlock? But, Whatever the case, at his root, he's saying, yeah, so whatever, the, you fall on that side of the debate. The reality is, he's saying, at my gut, at my most core level, from the time I was conceived, because of my human nature, I am a sinner. So it's not just that I do sin, it's that I be sin. That's terrible English, I know. but I am sinner. I'm, I'm flawed. I'm broken from the inside out. And he says he's without excuse. It's what he was talking about in verse six. He says, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So he's, he's showing this contrast of I'm a sinner from the inside out. But God over here, he, he delights in truth. And God has taught me wisdom. He, he's taught me better. And we could... For us today in this room, certainly, or watching online, he's given us his word. We know better, but still, because of our sin nature, we still choose to sin. Part of repentance is owning up that you're a sinful person. A couple, couple months ago, I got home, and um, I noticed on one of our leather sofas, there were some crazy claw marks, like, like somebody had taken their finger, like there's no like. What had happened? <laughs> Someone had taken their fingernails and scratched the sofa. Well, I figured it wasn't my wife. <laughs> so I thought, we do have two two-year-olds at the house. I think I know who could be the, the person here. So I went and got the kiddos and Haddon, is, our son, is not saying anything. And I look at Carolina Tate and I say, Caroline Tate, do you, do you see these scratches? do you know who did this? And she immediately, without skipping a beat, said that her babysitter had done it. <laughs> she immediately said, Hannah did it, Hannah scratched it. And I was like, Carolina Tate, I'm pretty sure your babysitter did not come down here and scratch the sofa. So she immediately didn't skip a beat. She calls her bunny, she calls it money, which is kind of scary to me of what's gonna happen in the future. <laughs> but she said, my money did it, my money did it. And I'm like, Carolina Tate, I'm getting lower and lower to her face, I'm like, I'm pretty sure your stuffed animal bunny or money, as you call her, did not scratch the sofa. So then she's like, Bubba did it. And the funny thing is Bubba actually did do it. <laughs> but I know, right? But what blew my mind is that she, she was making up things. I don't know if she associated that she, like if Bubba was guilty, she would be guilty, which sometimes is true parents, right? Sometimes you're not getting out alone. Um, but it blew my mind that as a two-year-old, she was already knew how to deflect. No, it wasn't us. It was like, it was my bunny. Like, your bunny, really, right? We, we do that. Even, they're two, I'm 35. We do that even as we get older, don't we? Even if you don't blame someone else, you blame your circumstance. Well, you know, it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have sinned like that, but COVID had me in a bad place. Do our circumstances impact us? Yes. But are they an excuse for our sinful actions? Absolutely not. Actually, often your circumstances draw out the sin that's already there. They give the sin that's already in your heart a chance to show itself, right? What is the whole old adage or whatever metaphor that you squeeze an orange, what do you get? You get orange juice. That's what's in there. Our circumstances squeeze us, and you know what they reveal? We're sinners. What David's showing us, it does no good to do what our current culture does and blame shift and put it on other people, it does no good. Part of repentance, which leads to restoration, is just confessing and admitting, God, I'm broken. I'm sinful. I'm the problem. I am messed up from the inside out. I'm reading this um, book, I cannot think of the author's name right now, it's okay. He talks about the importance of knowing yourself as a sinner. And at first, when I started the chapter, I was like, that seems really weird, maybe even unbiblical. But his point is, if you deny the fact that you're a sinner, it's going to be hard for you to understand that God loves you, Romans 5 8, even while you were a sinner admitting that you're a sinner and just coming to God and being honest about how broken you are doesn't push you farther from God. It actually brings you close because you begin to see that God loves you even as messed up as you are. That's good news. Amen. And he loves you just as you are because of the cross. Of course, he doesn't want to keep you there, but he loves you even in your mess. God loves you no more on the day when you've been killing it and you read 20 chapters in the Bible. I don't think I've ever done that actually. And you've shared the gospel. He doesn't love you more on that day as the day that you totally messed up. He loves you day in, day out. Not because you're awesome, but because Jesus is awesome. (laughs) Repentance requires you to acknowledge how sinful you are from the inside out. All right. and uphold me with a willing spirit. Right, there are two ingredients we're gonna see from these verses, but here's the first. That is, repentance includes asking for cleansing. Repentance includes asking for cleansing. I think most of us are familiar with this. Uh, it's almost natural to say, God, would you cleanse me? Would you get this out of my life? I don't want this sin to taint my thoughts, my my." My gut reactions to things. I don't want this sin to taint my words. God, would you cleanse it? Remove it from me. He says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. So in the Old Testament, the priest would take a hyssop plant and dip it in water, sometimes blood, and sprinkle it on the people as a sign of cleansing, as a sign of forgiveness. Here, David was calling on God. God, would you purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. God, if you'll cleanse me, I shall be whiter than snow. So even David recognized that he needed God as his priest. Now, if you remember, I was going through the book, the series, the book, we were in Leviticus. We saw that Jesus is our what? Our great high priest. You there's good news that Jesus at the cross in that moment, he was purging us with his, he was, he was cleansing us from our sin. And the, think of that picture of the, of the priest taking the plant and sprinkling you with blood, the cross of Christ. If you know Christ by grace through faith in him, you have been sprinkled with blood. You've been washed whiter than snow. We have a priest and his name is Jesus. So when we're just saying, God, would you cleanse me with would you forgive me? Would you remove this from me? That's not just like, well, maybe he will. No, we look to the cross as a sure, steady fact. That there is cleansing from our sin in the name of Jesus. Don't forget that ingredient. Repentance includes asking for cleansing. But so often, we we stop there. What I mean is we so often I think we, God, forgive me, cleanse me, and we move on. Well, I want you to see in a second, that kind of repentance, when you stop with that ingredient, it's like trying to ride a bike with one pedal, which is hard. <laughs> it's gonna be hard to get anywhere. And I used this metaphor, uh, I think two weeks ago, but, or similar to like paddling a kayak on only one side, what happens, you go in circles, right? Could it be, some of us are going in circles around the same sins because we forget this next ingredient read verses 7 to 12 again with me i'm going to point it out purge me with hyssop and i shall be clean wash me and i shall be whiter than snow let me hear joy and gladness let the bones that you have broken rejoice hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Here's the fourth ingredient from those same verses. Repentance includes asking for renewal. For renewal. Repentance includes asking for renewal. Do y'all see that in the text? So it's not just, God, would you take this from me? It's, Lord, would you... Restore. would you heal the bones that you have broken? Would you create in me a clean heart, oh God? And this word create, it's not like, would you fix up? It's literally, would you put something new in my heart? Renew a right spirit within me. When he says, cast me not away from your presence, take not your Holy Spirit from me. He's not talking about losing your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. And think of that in their original context, they wouldn't have thought about Holy Spirit, even how we think about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament post uh, the cross, this side of the cross, he would have thought of it in the sense of, God, keep your spirit close. I don't wanna be distant from your presence. Lord, I want to enjoy that intimate relationship with you. So please don't cast me away. I wanna be close to you. And then verse 12, maybe the most obvious to this point, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So often we like, God, would you cleanse this from me? And we, we forget to ask God, would you restore to me the joy of first loving you? One commentator said sexual sin in in David's life was a symptom of the root problem, which was lost joy in God. Look at the text. You'll notice David never mentions sexual sin. He could have, wouldn't have been wrong to do that. What he does mention is, God, would you restore to me the joy of your salvation? Well, the fact is when you choose sin you've forgotten how delightful Jesus is. You've forgotten how good he is. So David's getting this ingredient of, hey, asking God to take this sin out, but then replace it back with that joy. Think about, it makes me think of like a garden or even your yard. If in your yard, all you ever do is pull up weeds, you may have a clean yard, but you're not gonna have a fruitful, beautiful yard. The idea here is to, to pull up that weed or whatever that, plan is and replace it with something better, joy in Christ, delight in Christ, a love for his word, a love for his people. God, would you remove this anger and replace it with love for people? God, would you remove this bitterness and replace it with joy? God, would you remove this lust and replace it with delight in you? Y'all track on with that? Repentance includes asking for renewal. And look what happens when you do that. One more ingredient. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Here's our fifth ingredient, perhaps maybe one of the most important ones for us not to miss. Repentance leads you through brokenness and into worship. Repentance leads you through brokenness and into worship. So as you're writing that down, I wanna almost work backwards a little bit. If you look at verse verses 16 and 17, it begins at four, so he's gonna give explanation for what he just said. So, God, because you won't delight in sacrifice, I would give it, you won't be pleased with the burnt offerings, but rather the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, He will not despise. So he's saying, God, because you're not looking for just religious activity, religious ritual, I don't have to perform all these certain things to get back right with you. You're just looking for a broken heart that recognizes how sinful it is and how much it needs you. And because you're just looking for that, To back up to verses 13 through 16, he says, I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners will return to you. God, would you deliver me and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. So what he's saying is, God, because you delight, not in all this religious activity, but Those things aren't bad. Ultimately, you delight in a broken heart. God, I'm coming to you with a broken heart. Because of that, I'm gonna go ahead and teach transgressors transgressors your ways. I'm gonna go ahead and open my mouth and declare your praise. I don't have to wait to do those things because you offer forgiveness right now. So how does this play out in our lives? How often do you say you mess up big and in your mind and in your gut, I know I'm the only one that feels this way, sometimes it takes like, you feel like it takes a couple Sundays before you're back right with God. You know what I'm talking about? Or like, I need, I need to at least read my Bible like four or five times and then me and God would be kind of cool, right? You're like You're trying to create this distance of time and religious activity between the sin and when you think you'll be okay with God again. I think what this is saying, yes, you're, Your sin, your and ultimately your repentance should lead you through a time of brokenness. God, I need you. I'm have a broken and contrite heart, oh God. But quickly through brokenness and into worship. God finds no pleasure in you wallowing, wallowing, is that a word? Wallowing in your sin. God gains no glory by you repenting and then for weeks, like, man, I'm just the worst. I just messed up. He's like, Yeah, I know that's why I came to die for you, but guess what, buddy? Guess what, sister, I rose again, and because of that, there's hope in me. So would you get off the ground and move forward in the grace and forgiveness of the cross? (laughs) He gains no pleasure in you wallowing in your sin, so get up. And as the text says, teach transgressors his ways. Open your mouth and declare his praise. I would tell you, if you come to worship or you're driving in your car or whatever, not that worship is only song, but if you find that you feel like you can't sing, even though you've repented, you feel like, I just feel dirty, still I can't repent. Then you're not walking in the grace and the forgiveness that Christ offers you when you come to Him with a broken heart. Because repentance leads you through brokenness and into worship. You with me? You don't stay stuck in brokenness forever, there's hope for you. Lives healed, chains fall, fear about all that stuff, right? Because of Jesus. So the five ingredients, just real quick to repeat them back to you. Make sure you got them. Repentance begins with knowing that forgiveness flows from God's love, not your effort. It requires you to acknowledge how sinful you are from the inside out. Repentance includes asking for cleansing. Number four, repentance includes asking for renewal. And the last one, repentance leads you through brokenness and into worship. These are a gift. Psalm 51 is a gift. One, to to see that if you're a broken, sinful human being, you're in good company. (laughs) But also that there is forgiveness. As 1 John 1, 9 says, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, Jesus, to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just. So not like when he's feeling like it. No, he is faithful. He will do it. He has promised you that you can't make him do. He's not some genie in a bottle. But he has promised he would offer forgiveness and cleansing when you just come to him with a broken, contrite heart. So the question is this morning: What do you need to repent of? For David, it was lust, adultery, and murder. Now, if anyone in this room has got those weighing on your heart this morning, maybe we need to have a conversation, especially the murder thing. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm joking to say that if there's forgiveness for those sorts of sins, and there is, there's forgiveness for any sin, amen? No person is too far gone for the love of God. So what do you need to bring before him in repentance? I was probably, I feel like every time I tell this story, I say different age because I can't quite remember. I'm gonna say six or seven, maybe eight the oldest, hopefully no older than that. And um, my, my older sister was just old enough, she had just started shaving. And one Wednesday afternoon before Wednesday night church, um, I've been playing with my buddies and got all gross So my mom uh, made me take a bath before Wednesday night church. And so while I'm in there, I look over and I see my sister's razor. And I'm like, a typical boy, like, that's pretty cool, it's like a knife, I think it's sweet. And so I get her a razor and as a young kid, I'm like, man, I don't have much hair and I can't shave my head because mom would totally see that. So I decided the most inconspicuous place I could shave was my eyebrow. <laughs> so I took my sister's razor and razor and shaved my eyebrow, put it back, didn't think a thing of it. I got ready for church, nothing to it. So I go to church, we had Wednesday night dinner, by the way, Wednesday, January 20th, Wednesday night, Moses are coming back. Whoop, whoop. Anyways, so uh, I get my dinner and I go by, I'm walking by my parents and I say hi to my parents. And mom says, Brandon, where'd your eyebrow go? <laughs> to which I responded, what? <laughs> she said, your, your eyebrow is missing. One of your eyebrows is gone. And I was like, what? Like We've you, been there, right? What? Like touch it, like, oh my goodness, it is gone. She was like. Do you, what happened to it? And I was like, I I don't know. And she's like, all right, question. (laughs) When you got up this morning, did you have two eyebrows? (laughs) I I think, what happened between now and then that would cause you to be missing one eyebrow? Mom, I don't know. (laughs) Well, much to her awesomeness and, uh, and my mom and dad's wisdom, they said, that is so interesting. And they let me go about my way. Well, as soon as, as soon as I walked off, I immediately felt that guilt, even as a little seven-year-old, like, oh man, I just lied. Like, it's one, I don't think shaving your eyebrows is a sin, by the way. Right? That's the funny, actually, I know it's not a sin. Don't, I don't recommend it, okay? <laughs> but it's not a sin to shave your eyebrow. But I remember walking away, I'm like, dude, I just lied to my parents. And so for the next couple of weeks, I had this kind of guilt. And sure enough, I like, get slowly began to grow back, which just again, why you shouldn't do it. First, it grows back, kind of sticks straight out. You know what I'm saying? It's like waving at people. Um, it's kind of a weapon. Like ah, get him with your eyebrow, because it gets so uh, sharp and spiky. Anyways, I uh, got to a point where I couldn't take it, and so once I think it was two weeks in, one Saturday morning I go and I knock on my parents' door, and I go and I, like, what, what are you doing? Why are you up so I go and I kneel by. I went to my mom's side of the bed because she didn't spank as hard as my dad, and. I said, Mom, I just want you to know. Dad, I want you to know. I was gonna tell you what happened to my eyebrow. I, I shaved it off. And my mom said, yeah, we know. <laughs> and so we had, a, man, we had a, a quick conversation about grace, but also about not lying about silly things. And they sent me on my way. And it was amazing how once I went and repented, there was that immediate one, they extended forgiveness according to their steadfast love, <laughs> but also, whew, I, feel like I could breathe again. And then when I see my parents, there wasn't this awkward like, "Oh yeah, it's coming back." I still, still weird. It fell off. I don't know what happened. Like, all that was gone away. So the reality is, when you <laughs> come to your heavenly Father and tell Him what He already knows. <laughs> there is forgiveness, there is grace. And it's amazing how in that moment, that cringe you've been feeling when you come near him dissipates. His love objectively was never any different for you. He loved you the whole time, even when you've been hiding your sin from him. But subjectively, when you are hiding sin from God and not being real about who you are with God, you don't feel his love shining down on you. It's almost like clouds, right? The sun is always shining, but the clouds make it difficult to sense the sun shining. The same way with with God's love. God's love is always shining on you, his child. The cross proves that, but your sin clouds your experience of his love. Track it with me? How many of this morning, of us this morning, need to come to our heavenly father and just get real with him about some sin in our life? Which ingredient do you need to really lean into this morning and season your life with? God, would you forgive me? Repentance does lead to restoration, but we gotta repent. So if you, as a Christian this morning, I'm gonna invite you, if you're in the room, to even in a moment to come down to the altar and just get real with God. Almost like I kind of came down and got help before my parents. Maybe we to do that with the Lord this morning. If you're watching online, maybe just to, to sit where you are on your couch or maybe get down on, your knees and just get real with God about the sin in your life, knowing that repentance leads to restoration. Some of you may be in the room or maybe be watching online this morning, just flat out don't know Jesus. You've never come to him and recognize that you are a broken sinner in need of the grace that is offered to you by the blood of Jesus. And you can experience his grace and love and forgiveness and hope and purpose and peace because he rose again. This morning, if that's you, I'm gonna invite you to just simply turn to Jesus by faith. Jesus, I know that I'm broken. Would you save me? Would you forgive me of my sin? And here's what's cool, church family, or unbeliever, when you do that, I should say, that he, he does immediately begin to take out those old sinful desires and replace them with a love and a joy in him. And so your fight doesn't then become, I'm not gonna sin, I'm not gonna sin. No, your fight then becomes, I'm gonna focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. And he's going to pull out and weed out those old sins. And he's gonna put in me a desire and a love for him. But you gotta come to him in faith. I'm gonna pray for us and I'm gonna ask you to respond as God leads you again, the altar will be open. Jesus, thank you for making forgiveness possible. Thank you that you are faithful and just to cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Thank you that your forgiveness flows from your heart. according to your love, not according to how good we are because we're broken. God, would you put things on our minds this morning, on our heart that we need to repent of, that we need to come clean with so that we can experience that restoration. Lord, would you draw people to yourself for salvation? In the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.